Man, it's such a joy to come into here and uh, praise the Lord together and lift our voices, kind of get lost. Uh, back. And, and, and I just want to thank you for joining us today and being a part of this today. Today is the last message in this series out of James. We will continue this week with verses coming your direction, I believe. I'm not the one that's been sending those out. And also, uh, for those of you still using your small group notes uh, or using those personally, uh, there's some follow-up as we complete James this week. Today we're looking at faith that works, works at prayer. Not much more practical than that, I don't believe. I take great delight in God's specific answers when they come to my specific prayers. Any of you take great delight in specific answers when you've been praying specifically? I take, I think, maybe even greater delight when I don't know how to pray and I'm doing the best I can and the Spirit is leading me to just pray something. And it's, sometimes it's a little vague, but then so delightful when God answers far beyond what I even asked or could even imagine, which is a promise that We read in Ephesians, I take great delight in those prayers, and some of those are huge markers, huge shifts, where he did something beyond what I could ask or imagine. I love that. What I don't take great delight in is when I pray, and it doesn't quite go the way I expected it to go. What I don't take great delight in is when I pray, and I feel like the answer is precisely in a different direction and it's a little uncomfortable and maybe even frustrating. I I don't take delight in when, when I pray and I pray and I pray and there seems to be no movement or response or it doesn't seem to be going the way that I've been praying and praying and praying and so there's this delay. I don't take a lot of delight in Times where things start stacking up and it's surprises, things that are happening that aren't what I expect, and then one thing happens, and then another thing happens, and then another thing happens, and it's just like I'm 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 thrown for a loop. Anybody relate to that? Okay, so it's not an easy topic to talk about this prayer being so powerful and effective. James is going to be teaching us today in the section we're looking at how to pray with effectiveness, these powerful prayers to see God at work. And so I just wanted to start with the fact that um, I wrestle with that. And it's not a simplistic answer that I bring. And I don't believe James is going to bring a simplistic answer either, although some of his phrases sound that way. And so we have to kind of dig in a bit and figure out how do we pray more effectively and more powerfully. And James is going to be letting us in on some very, very powerful truths together today. Let's keep in mind before we jump into his text that prayer is a complicated subject and answers to prayer is even more complicated and one of the major complications is this. 
even when you're a believer, and even when you're tight with God, you are tight with God and living in a fallen world, and there's still suffering in this fallen world. And all of us who are going to be in this world uh, before the Lord returns, are, we have suffering to look forward to. And so prayer is going to be learning how to pray in this kind of a fallen world situation where the Lord certainly breaks through and, and walks with us. And so we have to see how do we walk with God in prayer in this kind of powerful way that James describes for us today. Huge topic. We're going to begin with point number one. I thought that would be better than beginning with point number three. It's this. Whatever is going on, keep prayer ongoing. Whatever is going on, keep prayer ongoing. We're going to jump right into James chapter 5, verse 13, and take it piece by piece through a a big section of James 5. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So that's a good way of saying whatever's going on, keep prayer ongoing. I began with how prayer and answers to prayer I take great delight in, but prayer itself is not always delightful. Prayer itself is sometimes difficult. Prayer is a discipline, particularly when, is anybody among you in trouble? When you're in trouble and in suffering and in difficulty, it's not delightful to pray. It's necessary, and we need to work at it. And when the prayers aren't instantaneous, we keep working at it. And this is the kind of thing that James is going to be getting at. So the prescription that James is saying, and he'll, he'll say this as we keep moving down the list, he's saying, here's the prescription, turn to God in every situation. And so the first situation he deals with in this paragraph is while you're experiencing trouble. Now, when I think of trouble and difficult scenarios, um, it's those scenarios that our mind is really troubled because we don't understand. Okay, God, if you're all-powerful and if you're all-loving, why, why have you left us in this, this situation? I just, I just don't understand. Or why are you delaying? I just don't understand. And, and on and on, our, our prayer stumbles along in this tendency. It's not our natural tendency to take every situation to God with uh, faith, trust, and delight. Maybe it's yours, but my natural tendency, I'm going to say natural here, my natural tendency when things are delayed, when things are difficult, when I don't understand, my natural tendency is to slip into more of a frustration, a disappointment, um, perhaps even to the degree of questioning. Um, I'd like to say I don't get angry, but inside I just uh, get hurt. (laughs) That's disappointment. Um, And those are the things that we kind of wrestle with with God while we're in this state of trouble because we want God to remove the trouble quickly and we know he loves us and so we're praying for this quickness and and then we just stumble along 
in our minds with it. Now, to us, the frustration, the disappointment, the hurt is reasonable. We we think it's reasonable, and so we might come across as a little grumbly, (laughs) a little complaining, and when you really think about it, what James is trying to tell us is that's really not reasonable if you know how good God is. You're making excuses to stay in the grumbly, to stay in the complaining, instead of going to prayer, and we need to talk through these things a bit here. So whatever is going on, keep prayer ongoing. Whether I said it or not, one of our tendencies is to get trapped in a cycle of asking the question, why? Anybody do this? Why did you let this happen? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why, why the delay, God? Why, why, why? There's a whole book on this, the book of Job. It looks like Job. It's pronounced Job when you see it as a title of the book. <laughs> That's his name, Job. And Job is stuck in this trap of asking God why throughout the book. And God doesn't answer the question why. He comes and says, really? And then can you do this? Can you do this? He just shows himself in the end, and that is enough. And so we need to ask better questions than why. While we're in trouble, we need to ask Perhaps one of the questions is, what? what? What do you want of me? What do you want me to do? What is it that you want of me? What is it that I'm supposed to learn? What are you saying to me, God? So let me just ask you, are you often in the typical trap of asking why? Do you ask why more than what? Now, whatever is going on, keep prayer ongoing. I want to kind of put a corollary truth in here, and you could even put it as a, a point two and make point two, point three, because there's only two points. You could say, whatever is going on, keep praise ongoing. We're going to tackle praise in a moment, but I want to begin with this counterintuitive truth that praise and prayer go together. And we need to remind ourselves what James's first lesson was when we were five weeks ago in chapter one, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you encounter trials of various kinds, right? Consider it a joy. He didn't say be happy about it. He says consider it. It's like take your mind, you're in the why, 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 disappointment, discouragement place with your mind, Take your mind, turn it, and consider it, and reframe the situation from a different place is what he's telling us to do. It's a mental activity that you have to literally take yourself out of the place that's causing your frustration, that loop, those questions, the things that you keep telling yourself, and reframe what's going on. God, you're, you're more wise than I am. You are good. You have a good plan here. I don't know what it is, but reframe it. And James helps us with that. Reframe it with what he's doing that's good 
even while this is going on. And praise is a huge component of how to reframe where your heart is. Here's an example. Straight from the New Testament, Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are arrested wrongfully. They are whipped. They are taken down into the inner uh, jail dungeon-ish place of a Roman prison, and their backs are bleeding, and they're locked up in stocks, and it's smelly down there, and they pray and begin singing praise. And while they're doing this, the other prisoners in this stench of a place are rattled by it. The guard who's guarding is rattled by it. And this rattling on the inside is, they just don't get this kind of weirdness. We just whipped them. We just locked them in. We just did all this to them. And they're singing? That's weird. But for God, that's a fragrant offering of praise. The fruit of lips that we offer in praise to God is beautiful to God. And God responded with power. Everything shook with this huge earthquake. The foundations of the whole building shook and the doors came unhinged, the stocks come unhinged, the chains come loose out of the walls and, and they're set free. But Paul and Silas, oh, I'm getting into a whole nother story. You have to read Acts chapter 16 <laughs> to finish out what takes place. It's incredible power that is there. Combine prayer and praise and just see what happens as the shaking changes and shifts your heart. And then things begin to shake and move in God's response as well. Speaking of praise, let's move to verse 13. Is, anybody, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Here's another human tendency a trap that we often fall into. The Bible says we do. History says we do. And you need to believe that we do. That we'll fall into the trap of neglecting to praise God when things are going well. Neglecting to connect with God when all is well. History says this happens to whole nations, whole people groups. Just read it and you'll see it in the Bible. And we have to really avoid this trap. When things are going well, when I'm feeling happy, we kind of go on our merry way and we forget God. Don't fall into that trap. James is saying, is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Charles Spurgeon has a quote we'll put on the screen. We should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we are not in a praying mood because it would be dangerous to remain so unhealthy in, in so unhealthy a condition. Charles Spurgeon. So this is, you know, 1800s. Uh, pretty wise quote. And it's kind of like saying, whatever's happening, keep praying. Whether you're doing well, don't neglect it then. Or whether you're not doing well, don't neglect it then. So keep your prayer on going. Whether down or up, celebrating or anxious, 
sad or happy, go to God, in prayer and praise. Whatever is going on, keep prayer ongoing. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. What's the deal with anointing somebody with oil? What's the deal with that? Let me just talk about that a little bit. Um, we do that here, by the way. And if you're sick and uh, you're, you've gone through the normal prayer routine, you've maybe you know, pray, prayed with a prayer team and you want to take it up a level, the, the burden's on you. You know when it is. You can call the elders to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil. Well, what's the deal with the oil? Now, first of all, oil in biblical times is used medicinally and is used to represent the presence of the Spirit of God. Um, medicinal, you can read about it in Luke 10, where the Good Samaritan anoints the wounded man with oil. That's, they just kind of carried oil as, um, for medicinal purposes even uh, for that kind of thing. So you have your first aid kit in your car. They had their first aid kit on, in their pouch or whatever. And oil was a part of the first aid kit. And it was used in lots of different ways. So medically, but also spiritually speaking, when kings were installed by God over his nation. They were anointed with oil. And it, there's a lot of things in the scripture about oil being a representation of the presence of the Spirit of God. So even in the temple setting, when the lamps are lit, the lamps are lit with this oil. How do the lamps light and gl bring glory to the temple through the Spirit of God? And so on and so forth. So you've got the anointing. In fact... We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, Messiah. The word means anointed one. He was, how was he anointed? When he was baptized and he came up, the spirit of God descended on him like a dove and he was anointed by the spirit of God. He's the anointed king. So anointing with oil was how the kings did it, but bypassed that and had a visual of a dove himself. Uh, coming down, and Jesus was anointed, and the Spirit was present with him. So this image is a powerful image, but it's more than an image. When elders come together and agree in prayer, and they're praying over a person, and typically we take oil, and we don't just slather it all over you, okay? We put it over your forehead and give you a cloth so that you can wipe it off your forehead, and we literally put our hands over your forehead, and others might put their hands on your shoulder or just stand uh, all kind of huddled together as we pray for you. Powerful thing. It's caring. It's united. It's in the presence of, of God sanctioned by him. Uh, before coming to this church, my experience growing up was I'd never seen it practiced. But I thought, it says it right here. We're going to do it here. Many churches do. And we have seen some powerful answers to prayer. Powerful, miraculous answers to prayer. We've also seen times when it doesn't go the way we expect. It's not the way we prayed. What do you do with that? One thing you do is you keep reading. <laughs> and you need to figure out what's going on. Um, James 5, 15 through 16. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, as I keep reading, it just seems so simple. James says, do this and this and this. You're going to see powerful, effective prayer take place. Is it as simple as it sounds? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. It's amazing how God responds. But don't just read forward. Also remember in Scripture to read backwards, and not as in at the end of the sentence, back to the beginning of the sentence, back up of some verses, go upstream a little bit. The paragraph just before this paragraph is interesting because it's James talking all about endurance while you're suffering. So it's not so simple. He follows the be an enduring, faithful person while you're still suffering is, is the context. Then he goes into, now if you're sick, do this. But that may be still some endurance and suffering there. This is the big, bigger context in chapter 5, 7 through 12. So prayer isn't always as quick and formulaic as it sounds, but it always is turning to God and walking through life with him. We're in covenant with him through Jesus. He's with us and we're with him. And so to get at that a little bit, here's another quote on the screen. It must be emphasized here that prayer offered is a prayer offered in faith, not only the faith that God can heal, but also the faith that expresses absolute confidence in God's will. I think the best way for me to get at this is to just point us back to Jesus himself. You think if anybody is always going to get exactly what he wants and asks for in prayer, it's going to be Jesus because he's got no sin, no problems, perfectly righteous. We just read about a righteous person who's going to have powerful prayers. Well, here's a powerful prayer, and it's in Gethsemane. So Gethsemane, if you're not aware of the, the biblical story, it's right before He's going to be crucified, and Jesus knows he's going to die. He knows why he's going to die, but he's struggling with the experience of being separated from his father, which he's never experienced from his eternity past, because he's now going to experience the wrath of God in the crucifixion for our sins, not his sins, and here's how he prays. Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me, this cup of wrath that I have to drink down for this to happen. Take it from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 26, 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then we read in Matthew 26, 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Over and over and over as he wrestles with God over the agony of what he's facing, he's praying, God, if there's any way to take this from me, take this from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done. Your will be done. Do you see how that's both a prayer of faith 
but it's also a faith expressed in the will of the Father. In which way did it go? Well, thank goodness, thank God, it went the way it went. None of us could be saved if God answered the prayer that the cup of wrath that was deserving upon us would be removed from his son. It could have been, but that meant all humanity who is sinful cannot enter into heaven because our sins disqualify us from living with a perfect God. So, as a parent, I get this, that a child asks for a lot of requests that they don't have the wisdom to know that what they're asking for is not what they really need or want. I get this as a parent. It's harder for me to get it as an adult doing the asking before my heavenly father, but really, the difference between my wisdom and his wisdom is so much more magnified. That difference is way larger than the difference between my infant child or little child or grade school child's wisdom and my wisdom as a parent back in those days. That is a lot closer than my wisdom and ability to see all angles of every situation the way God sees them and will do what's better for me and not give the prayer I'm asking when it's not the best thing for me. And sometimes we read the formulas of prayer and we think all we gotta do is line up everything just so and we can twist God's arm to do what we want when it's the worst thing we could be asking for for us and others. And God is so gracious, like a good father, that sometimes his answers to our prayer is no. Right? We can get that. We understand that. But while we're going through it, it is no fun while we don't understand it. That's kind of the situation we live in, in this fallen world. God could heal every cancer patient. God could heal this particular cancer patient. God could remove all of this, but we kind of have to continue to not only believe in the power of God and the power of prayer, but the power of his wisdom and goodness and the bigger picture, which we can't connect all the dots to see how all this will come together in a better plan when it doesn't make sense to us. Point number two a prescription for powerful praying, James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Ah, oh, crud. That rules me out. Right? Isn't that how you feel? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Ah, oh, crud. That rules me out. I want, I want powerful, effective prayers. So, Wait. It doesn't really rule us out. We need to understand what is a righteous person because a lot of times we read scriptures talking about there's nobody righteous except God alone. And other places in scriptures we read about righteous persons and, and that that is possible. So we gotta kind of figure out what that looks like. Here is Jim Hammond trying to put things together. And Jim Hammond with... Wait, wait a minute. 
Here's Jim Hammond, who is now in a right relationship with God, able to put things together, and he's not screwing around. I got that one from the, somebody on the worship team. They said, what are you going to do today with that? What are you going to do today? Take the stage apart? I said, no, I'm taking everybody apart. And he says, oh, man, that's great, Jim, because you've just been screwing around. And it's like, wow, okay. Now you're really going to get to it. All right, that's very good. Now, so this is me trying to do stuff for God. Okay? And We think of righteousness as doing all this stuff for God, doing good stuff, doing stuff for God, for God, for God. This is righteous person doing stuff from God for God. That's how true righteousness works. You're doing power from God for God. Huge, huge difference. Without Christ in your life, you're just trying to do stuff for God. You're hoping that he's going to weigh all the balances and everything comes out good and you're favored. That's not how it works. Through Christ, you can have Christ in your life. And now you have the power of prayer operative, still under the will of God. Now, you have to pray in his name. Now, a lot of times people don't understand what that is. Praying in his name is praying according to his character, in who he is, his character. A lot of times, just like a kid asking for silly, stupid things, it's out of character, it's off target, it's not the right kind of prayer because we're not praying in his name. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're writing a check for what he would sign his name to because it's in perfect character with his kingdom and his will. That's what it means to pray in his name. And I suppose an unrighteous person looks like this, but I tried to do this, but it was hard. I was trying to put a piece of paper between this and then click this in place. Unfortunately, these probes are so sharp every time I broke through that paper and I couldn't make it not so good. But I could do this. Faulty connection. Unconfessed sin creates a faulty connection, a barrier between the power, something that gets in the way, okay? There's another illustration. Now, some of these you've seen before, but it always, best illustrations, use them more than once, right? (laughs) I, I love this one. Here is a picture of not righteousness, but self righteousness. So many of us are living a self-righteous life that all it is is about doing the best we can and it's all about doing it for us and from us and God isn't even part of that loop and there's no power there. We need to plug our lives into him and then plug other people into that experience by our dialogue and conversations and praying for them as much as we can. Self-righteousness is not the way this thing works. So, the prayer of a righteous person, if that didn't help you, it's a person in a right relationship with God the Father because they believe in who Jesus is, what he has done for them, and received a covenant connection with God through what Jesus has done, 
by virtue of his sacrifice on the cross for you and his victory from the grave for you so that you can be united with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, and now you have connection. A right relationship with God is by connection with Jesus Christ that doesn't have a block or a barrier or a loose connection. We all need that connection. James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Verse 18, again he prayed and the heavens gave rain. Now, he prayed for rain after the three and a half years when the timing was perfect. You can read about it. And the earth it rained and produced its crops. Now, how did Elijah pray? This verse says what? Oh, it's not up there. Earnestly. Elijah prayed earnestly. So the translation uh, usually is earnestly or fervently. This is the first time I've studied through James and found something that I didn't see before in the translation of what it is translating. I just assumed there was going to be a word that meant earnestly or fervently. It's not. It's the doubling up of the word prayer in two different forms, and it's like the way that we might intensify something like if you say, that runner runs very, very fast, which is different than that runner runs very fast. Elijah, it says, Elijah prayed, praying. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, the translators are saying this is the way that they would take their language and intensify this thing into this fervency, this... this um, this earnestness to pray, praying. And you can read how Elijah does this. He keeps praying. He keeps praying. And when he prayed for rain, it's like he prayed for rain and there was no sign of it. And he sent his servant back to look again after he prayed again and again and again and again and again. And finally, it rains. He prayed, praying. And he prayed again. And he prayed again and again. And James is illustrating from the Old Testament, but he's also heard from Jesus many parables about how we need to persist in praying when we're not seeing the results. We need to be persistent and persevering in our praying. We need to be like Elijah, pray, praying. Prayed once, pray again. Pray again and again and again. And so we do the balance between um, persistence, perseverance, and understanding yet we're still praying for his will, and so it's not his will that I should stop. I didn't receive a no, which is interesting because Paul did at one point when he was praying three times for one thing. He stopped praying after three because he received a no. My will is that you do have this thorn in your side because it keeps your feet on the ground and you're going to be more powerful with this weakness than if I were to take it away. So Paul never prayed again that this, whatever it was, this ailment would be removed. But when you don't have the no, you pray, praying, and pray, praying, and pray, praying. Speaking of prayer, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this powerful teaching about prayer. Help us to be those who are marked by prayer, that we do pray and praise more naturally and more joyfully 
and more devotedly and with more delight because we are growing in closeness and close connection with you and experiencing power from you and for you and finding great joy there. Help us to experience, experience that more today and this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking of prayer, prayer team to the left of the stage. If you need prayer about anything, they're there for you. God bless. We'll see you next week as we ramp up for Easter. Next week is Hosanna. The week after that is He is risen. Okay? See you.